Good morning, welcome back. And to those watching late in the day in Stockwell, massive welcome to you. And for those watching on YouTube late in the week, huge welcome. I forgot to intro myself earlier. My name's Pete, together my wife B. We lead the church here if we've not met before. Massive welcome to you. My task today is is really simple. We're between teaching series. So I want to take this opportunity just to remind us of our vision as a church and to draw us as a community further into that vision. Just before the service, I was chatting to John and we were comparing notes about taking our kids to the zoo. And he was saying, and I couldn't agree more that every so often it's really underwhelming. So we took our kids to London Zoo a few weeks back um, and, and I was there for the lion, right? I know the kids were there to do, see different animals. I was there for the lion. I wanted to get close to danger. I wanted to be within two meters of the lion. I couldn't even see the lion. The lion was hiding somewhere. Didn't even get to see the lion. Paid to see the lion, didn't get to see the lion. I was, I was disappointed. And John told me the story of this, this guy that basically took his kids to one of those zoos where you, know, you drive through and the monkeys come and climb on the car and there's that kind of drama and he drove his kids through um, and the monkeys were disinterested didn't even come close to the car he was gutted his kids were probably gutted too but the main thing he was gutted right and he was like I'm not having it so he went to the car park he bought some bananas and he smothered the car in bananas I mean that's genius right just smeared it into the the outside of the car and drove through and the monkeys went nuts how amazing is that that is my purpose I, I want to smear our church family in bananas this morning. I just want to be really honest about it. I want to cast some vision um, that creates a context where people go nuts with excitement as to what is ahead of us as a church family. And I'm, I'm half joking, but only half joking. The reason why I think it's important is because we're in a moment where everyone's talking about rebuilding, everyone's talking about a new normal. I want to make sure we as a church family um, are defining the new normal according to the kingdom of God normal. Not according to how society thinks we should be rebuilding, but rebuilding according to scripture in alignment with the teachings of scripture and the vision of Jesus Christ who's the head of this church and the head of every church that calls itself Christian. So we're going to be casting vision for that reason. But we also want to share some of our vision as a church because there are so many new people that are joining our church family. So if, if we look at pre-lockdown and as we begin to re-emerge, it's almost like our family has changed significantly and the landscape has changed significantly and we want to invite people further into our story and our vision. In any given congregation right now at KXE, five congregations across the Sunday, um, at least the last few Sundays, around 35% in each congregation are new. Either it's their first time or they've only been for two or three weeks. So if you rocked up new, feeling a bit nervous, like I don't know anyone in the room and looked at people slightly panicked and, the, and they looked at you slightly panicked, it's not because they're not welcoming. It's because they're new too and they're trying to find some faces like, ah! Um, we're, so many of us are new. So if you've been here for more than two or three weeks, you're in the family now. You're an unofficial part of the welcome team. Smile at people as if you've been here for decades and that's how it's going to roll. So so much new is stirring and we want to invite people into the, the story. So here is our vision statement. Oh, in fact, I've got a graph before the vision statement because I know some of you love graphs. I love graphs. Um, 
So the green, are, this is since we've been regathering in person. In the bar chart, the green are those that are part of our database. In other words, they've been around for KXE for some time. And the blue are those that aren't part of the database. They've just rocked up recently. And what you'll notice over the last few weeks, the blue bar's getting higher and higher to the point now it's around 35% any given service, they're new folk. Which is amazing, right? This is a new opportunity. New things are stirring at KXC, and we want to welcome people into our, our story and our vision. And this is the vision. We exist as a church to serve God's purpose to make all things there we go. Serving God's purpose to make all things new. What does that look like? Well, it looks like turning swamps into ponds and sewers into springs. So let me share two stories. If you've been at KXC for any length of time, you'll have heard the first story. But there's a new story for you, which is something to be excited by. You won't have heard the second story before. But just embrace the first story as if you're hearing it for the first time. Because it's a defining story for us that points to, towards something of our vision and heart as a church family. So I, I went to Uganda 2012, and I went to visit some projects that were seeing a wave, a very significant wave of kingdom activity, entrepreneurial thinking sweeping through the country and the rural communities of northern Uganda. So in Soroti, they, they send out missionaries, they proclaim the gospel, and guess what? People come to faith. That shouldn't surprise us. I know in the West it sometimes does. Shouldn't surprise us. They preach the gospel. People come to faith. And then they form these, these people that have just come to faith into these communities. It's essentially church for them. Um, and these aren't long, boring church services. These are studying the scriptures, being swept into the story, and then figuring out how can I participate in this story. So one of the key questions they get asked in these small groups is, what do you have in your hand right now that could alleviate suffering in your community and create pathways to human? human flourishing. That's an amazing question right now. We should be asking that. What do we have in our hands that could alleviate human suffering, create pathways to human flourishing? Anyway, I met this one guy and his answer to the question was, the only thing I possess is, is a piece of land. The problem is it's swamp land. Um, and therefore, it's become a breeding ground for mosquitoes, which means malaria rates are really high in the community. In fact, the only thing I possess is causing suffering. It's causing poverty. It's quite literally killing people in the community. So I have no idea how this land could be redeemed and part of, be redeemed and be part of a different story. Anyway, in this small group, they were like, well, let's just think creatively. What could we do with the land? And someone in the group said, well, what if we try and dig up the swampland? What if we try and hit the water level and establish a pond? So they basically said, let's try and find 20 guys that will commit 30 days of digging and see if we can establish a pond. So they started digging week one, zero breakthrough. Week two, zero breakthrough. Week three, very little breakthrough. Week four... A pond begins to emerge. And this is a picture of the pond that we got to see. And they began to breed fish in the pond. Um, and with the fish, they began to feed people in the local community. Now, if that was the end of the story, we'd all do a little fist bump and say, that's an amazing story. Swampland became a pond. It began to feed people in the community. But it's better than that because they take the fish to market they begin to generate some income with the income they send the children to school to get an education because as we all know education is a key pathway out of poverty right so they're feeding people in the community and they're educating the children if the story ended there they'd be fist bump people be like whoa that's amazing I sense the energy in the room and just want to be part of that um, like they would be celebrating um, but it gets better than that 
because they begin to dig a second pond. Hopefully you can see it just behind the first pond. Um, And with the fish that were breeding in that pond, they take it to market, they generate extra income, they begin to employ people to manage the two ponds, and they began to dig some other ponds, five ponds um, in total they, they were digging. Now, again, what an amazing story. If, if that was it, it would be more than enough. We'd be like, that's incredible. They're feeding the community. They're educating the kids. They're providing employment. They actually made more income. They began to build homes for people in the community. But then they began to sort of ask the question, why are the conditions so perfect for the fish? Like, this is incredible. This is like a picture of human flourishing. What's going on? They did the research and they discovered that the fish were feeding off the mosquito larvae right? Which meant malaria rates began to plummet. So this land that was causing suffering, causing poverty, quite literally killing people in the community, became the land feeding people, educating people, employing people, creating homes, bringing down malaria, bringing a community to life. How incredible is that, right? Like that's a phenomenal story. And the story started with the gospel, the message that Jesus is king. People began to live in and live out that story and a community was transformed. Now, I love this. I read this article around, around that time. Matthew Paris, who's a brilliant journalist, um, he's an atheist, but he began to write about Africa. And this was his conclusion. Brilliant. The, the title you can see on the screen, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Right? That's the conclusion. Africa needs God. The hope for Africa. Listen to his, his article. Let me read a bit to you. Travelling in Malawi refreshed another belief too. One I've been trying to banish all my life, but an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christianity makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practical work of mission churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package. But Christians, black and white, working in Africa, do heal the sick, do teach people to read and write, and only the severest kind of secularists could see a mission hospital or school and say the world would be better without it. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate the missionaries to help, then fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. But this doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to the flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help observing. This is a leading secular thinker journalist concluding Africa needs the gospel. The only bit that makes zero sense in his argument is that the West doesn't. Like We can do without God, but Africa, they need God right? And I think something as I read that was like, no, the gospel is the hope not just for Africa, but for all of created order. So I came back from Uganda just stirred and inspired. I want to see that kind of story unfolding here in King's Cross. Now, 
We regularly talk about living in and living out the story of God. And the story of God can be summarized in this journey from creation to decreation to recreation. I'm aware some of you are zoning out right now because you've heard me preach this at least 20 times. But stick with me. So creation is the beginning of the story where we get a vision as to the character of God, but also what it means to be human. That we were created and placed in this garden of delight. No sin, no sickness, no suffering. Humanity fully alive in relationship with God, in relationship with one another in relationship with created order like that's what we were created for and that's what we are destined for but sin entered the story and through sin created order begins to unravel now Martin Luther the Reformation theologian described sin as a life turned in on itself we were created to, to be turned outwards and upwards towards God and towards one another. But sin causes us to turn in on ourselves and become selfish and, and narcissistic. Essentially, your desires, your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, that's all that really matters. Live for number one. And when you multiply that mindset by almost 8 billion people on the planet, it explains some of the pain and the suffering and the violence we see all around us. And that's how Genesis 3 begins to unfold. Created order begins to unravel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Peoples turn against peoples, nations against nations. And then you have this low point in Genesis 6 where it says the earth was filled with violence and God's heart was filled with pain. If you know the beginning of the story, you know that God said to Adam and Eve, like, populate the earth, have kids. And as, as you have kids and, you, and they begin to sort of spread, they will be carriers of my presence. And as they populate the earth, my, my presence will fill the entire created order. But in Genesis 6, it says the earth has been filled with violence and God's heart filled with pain. Now, the hinge point in the whole narrative comes in Genesis 12. As God says to Abraham, you're going to be father to a nation and that nation is going to be a vehicle of healing and restoration and redemption. They are going to experience healing, restoration and redemption and they'll become a conduit, a vehicle for bringing that healing and restoration and redemption to the entire cosmos. And the story of Israel is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ. And how does the story end? How does the whole narrative of scripture end? Well, the answer is Revelation 21, 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, this vision of God coming down to dwell with humanity. So this stereotype, the sort of like version of the story that some of us inherited, that when we die, we're going to leave our bodies behind, our souls will ascend and we'll embrace some sort of disembodied bliss, we'll ride around on clouds, we'll drink Red Bull, we'll sing worship songs for eternity. That's the story many of us inherited, but it's just not the biblical narrative. That's essentially Greek philosophy. The biblical narrative ends, God comes down, makes his dwelling place with humanity and brings healing and restoration. And then God sits down on, it, on his throne. In other words, his work is now complete. And he declares these words, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, in the Greek language of the New Testament, there's two words for new. There is neos, which means brand new. There's kainos, which is something older that is restored to its former glory. And the word that's used in Revelation 21 is, behold, I'm making all things kainos. I'm restoring everything to how it was in the beginning in Eden, where there was no sin, no sickness, no suffering. And the Apostle John, who, who swept up in this vision and says, look, as God sits down and everything's restored, suddenly I could see there was no death, no grief, no crying, no pain. 
I'm excited by it. Imagine how excited John would have been as, as he began to see the story come towards completion. Thomas Merton, the, the Catholic writer, said, our lives are shaped by the end we live for. Right? Our lives are shaped by the end we live for. What end are you living for? The, 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 the followers of Jesus in the New Testament, they knew the end of their story and therefore they lived out their faith with passion and excitement and hope and anticipation that there would be a moment when Jesus would return, there'd be no death, no grief, no crying, no pain. And we want to be swept up into that story. So that's the story. There's a second layer. As I said, the story is fulfilled through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. So God takes on human flesh. We call that the incarnation. Greek word incarnate, meaning in flesh. Chili con carne, chili in meat. God incarnate, God in flesh. Um, that's what we celebrate. That's one of the mysteries of our faith that God entered our condition to bring healing and restoration. And the sin... That, that turned in on yourself, virus, um, that led to created order unraveling. Jesus takes all of that upon himself at the cross to overcome sin, to separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, to, to wash us as white as snow, to clothe us in his righteousness, to overcome death, right? To overcome all darkness. And then he rises to new life, the firstborn of the new creation, and invites us to experience resurrection life by his spirit. The story is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now that one statement, by the way, is a summary of what the gospel is. If you ask people, like, what is the central gospel message of the scriptures? Most people are like, ah, I don't, ah, and they panic. It is simply that the story of God, which is God on a mission to make all things new, is fulfilled through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So this is how Paul summarizes it, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I received, in other words, the message I received, not just intellectually, but I experienced it in my entire being, this message that transformed my life, I now pass on to you as of first importance. Like this is, this is the essential message that transforms lives. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's his way of saying to fulfill this wider narrative of God and a mission to make all things new. So he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, just to emphasize this is part of the narrative of God on a mission to make all things new, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The gospel message is that the story of God is fulfilled in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Now here's a third layer to the story then, right? Which is we're called to follow the way of Jesus to be incarnational, to be cross-centered and resurrection-focused. But just to, to provide some easier language for us, to be compassionate, courageous and creative. That, that's what we're going after as a church. We want to be compassionate, courageous and creative. Let's talk about compassion. The word compassion is a compound word. Two words shoved together. Com, meaning with. Passion from the Latin verb passio, meaning to suffer. To be compassionate is to suffer with. And, and this is the thing I want to emphasize, it requires proximity, right? You can be generous from a distance, you can write a check, you can sign a petition, but you can't be compassionate from a distance. If you want to alleviate suffering, you have to follow the way of Jesus and enter into the suffering. Because our gospel message is a gospel message of reconciliation and relationship, like our God is a relational God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. When we experience salvation, we're drawn into relationship. The mission of the church is highly relational. 
If you want to alleviate suffering, you've got to jump in. You've got to suffer with. Now, the Chancellor said at the beginning of lockdown number one, very long time ago, but let's cast our memories back. As, As we entered into lockdown, I thought this was profound. He said, now, more than any time in our history, we will be judged by our capacity for compassion. In other words, whether we will suffer with those alongside us. When this is over, and it will be over, pray God it will be over, we want to look back on this moment and remember the many small acts of kindness done by us and done to us. This is a moment for the church to be marked out by compassion. And you can't do that from a distance, right? It requires proximity. The remedy requires proximity. Stepping close towards people that are struggling, developing friendships, because the gospel message comes to us in the form of relationships. And that's why we want to develop practices at KXC that invite us towards compassion. London is forming us, by the way. Your workplace, the pace of the city, it's forming you. And it's forming you, encouraging you to turn in on yourself to look after number one. And over time in the city, unless you're highly intentional, you'll become less compassionate, not more. You'll become more self-centered. You'll become more familiar to the poverty that surrounds you. You'll become desensitized to it, to the point where you can walk past it and not even see it anymore, which is terrifying, right? We've got to be intentional, developing practices that help us become more compassionate. And this is why King's House, this building, is a phenomenal gift to us. Um, In the next few months, we're going to be redeveloping this spot. Some work will happen upstairs to to create some air conditioning. That will be a gift. Um, Some heating, which will be a gift during the winter. And just sort of create a more homely space. But the huge work that's going to be happening is downstairs. Um, The shop front is going to be opened up. Hopefully by October, all the work will be done and we'll be back in here. And downstairs will be a centre of mission, hospitality, compassion mercy and justice and my deep encouragement is don't spectate like don't applaud from a distance like be compassionate like enter in as we create a space a home for the vulnerable of king's cross give yourself to it be part of the unfolding story of king's house now we've signed a 10-year lease on this place We've raised 250,000 pounds. We've actually gone over that target. We're currently at 265. We've raised 250,000 in terms of funding. So that's amazing. That's worth celebrating. But it gets better. We basically said to the London Diocese, the Church of England, like it feels like there's an opportunity here. What if rather than just having a 10-year lease on the space, what if we spoke to the landlord and maybe bought the place? So in partnership with the diocese, we've been exploring that. We put in a bid for the, the place. Um, it's been accepted. We've been, yeah, it's so cool. This is, this is so amazing. We'd hoped um, that we can announce it this Sunday, that the exchange completion's all gone through. It hasn't quite happened, but hopefully in the next week or two, that will happen. Happen. So we don't just have a temporary spot for 10 years. We, we've got a home in the heart of King's Cross where we can serve the unfolding story of what God's doing in this part of town. How cool is that? How cool is that? L- let's not spectate the story, right? Let's not just applaud it from a distance. Let's step in and serve. Like find places to serve, to make downstairs the most hospitable, compassionate place in the city. That's what we're going after. 
Um, So we want to be compassionate. Secondly, we want to be courageous. I love this quote. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. You know, courage right now looks like not quitting. Courage right now looks like I'm going to wake up and just give it another go tomorrow. The word courage, the root word is cur, meaning heart. To be courageous is to live wholeheartedly, right? At a, moment where our, our, at a moment where our instincts would protect our hearts, like build walls just to cover our hearts because we're feeling fragile. Courage would be like, okay, posture of worship, posture of surrender and saying, God, here's my heart, do whatever you want to do. At the heart of our faith is Christ crucified. Christ who literally gave himself away, rectally gave himself away, lived for us, died for us, rose to new life. And we want to follow the way of Jesus. We want to live life wholeheartedly, extravagantly, pouring ourselves out for those around us. We want to be reckless in worship, right? And, and I really believe this. I think there's a sound stirring in our worship right now at KXC. You can't hear it because we're all humming. Um, but I believe in faith. I've kind of seen it. There will be a moment where we take the mask off, where we're let loose in worship. And I honestly think there will be like a before and after moment, like the sound pre-lockdown, the sound post-lockdown, and be like, oh my goodness, something stirred in this community. They've learned how to worship God with the whole of their heart. We want to be wholehearted in worship. We want to be wholehearted in community. We're in a city that, that you know, leads to deep disconnection and isolation. And that's not even sort of like factoring in a pandemic. This is a moment for us to build community, to create connection. It's why the big weekender is so important. I just want to encourage you. I want to urge you, put the day in your diary. Don't miss out. Be part of us reforming as a family, pressing into community. Um, But more than that, we want to be wholehearted in mission too. And now we've developed this narrative that our Sunday services, like, just, they're all full. There's no space. And that was true for the first month or so. Like, tickets would go literally a few hours after they were released. But we've started two new services since then. One in Stockdale, south of the river. Shout out to those in Stockdale. Uh, Stockwell. <laughs> Where's Stockdale? That's up north somewhere. Stockwell. Love you guys precious in my heart. Um, And we've started a noon service here. In other words, there is space at the table. Look around the room. I can just count the empty seats. There is space. And that space is for your non-Christian friends. Like there are missional opportunities at this moment where people are asking the big questions of life. And I want to encourage us, where you see an empty seat, who could you invite? We're going to be starting a teaching series in two weeks time. Songs from the front line, which is life in the Psalms. It's basically how do we do life well? Practices of gratitude. How do you grieve well? You know, how do you deal with anxiety? Like this is stuff, practical wisdom for living life well. It is going to be brilliant for your non-Christian mates. So when you see an empty seat, ask the question, who could I invite? There is space at the table. So we want to be courageous. Finally, we want to be creative. I love this quote. Creativity is the natural extension of our enthusiasm. Let me just nerd out one more time. Enthusiasm. I love language. Um, The root word, in theos. In, meaning in. Theos, the word for God. Enthusiasm is what bubbles up when you're in God. 
Like Jesus said, if you drink from this water that I, I provide, it will become a well in you springing up to eternal life. That's enthusiasm, right? En theos, in God. When people are in God, creativity just gushes everywhere. I believe there's a fresh wave of creativity hitting our church. I believe there will be a fresh wave of entrepreneurial thinking that will hit our church. Um, here's the second story, turning sewers into springs, welling up to eternal life. Um, a friend of mine, who is the global head of 24-7 prayer, a guy called Mike Andrea, sent B and I this prophetic word. And you know every so often a prophetic word, it hits you and it hits you in the heart. And you're like, Lord, I think that's you. Because that is my deep desire that this word is tapping into. Let me read it to you. He felt God give us this verse. Ask the Lord for rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds and he will send showers of rain so every field becomes a lush pastor. Zechariah 10 verse 1. This is what he says. I can't seem to shake off the word I gave you about KXE being a new well, a place of outpouring and blessing, a place of visitation that will be visited by many. People will come and draw from your well and in turn this will open up new wells all over the nation. This passage came to me this morning and again I find myself praying for you all at KXE with an overwhelming urge to tell you, pray for the rain. And he will give you the storm clouds that will bring such saturation that people's encounter will be immediate in transformation and renewal. The evidence will be so real, people will literally become lush in character and countenance. As I write, I just hear the Holy Spirit repeating over and over, tell them to ask for the storm clouds of spring rain. Tell them to ask for the storm clouds of spring rain. I suddenly find myself transferred to Elijah, poised with his head between his legs, bent towards the ground, and saying to his servant once again, go and tell me what you see. And he says, yes, yes, I see something. I see a tiny cloud in the distance. It's small, but it's something. Elijah doesn't wait. He knows that small cloud would be of huge significance. The breaking of a drought, a deluge of blessing, and it would bless an entire nation. In 2011, the Lord asked me if I'd be prepared to give my best prayer for home away to another place. Would I be willing to see and celebrate the blessing I desire for my church over another place? I'm not going to lie, it was really hard to answer with sincerity because it made me process vanity, selfish ambition and search my heart for what was pure about my prayer for home. Eventually, I could say yes. This took me on a journey of pilgrimages all over the world, planting stakes into the ground of other churches and regions praying my prayer for home to happen elsewhere literally praying that the Lord would go beyond my own wildest ambition and dreams for home for other places our prayer in every instance was for permanent dwelling places of the spirit to occur in those places how amazing, like suddenly we have a permanent place here. And, and, and this is the head of a movement of prayer who, by the way, sent this message out to a network of leaders saying, can we all be contending that a well is opened up in King's Cross and outpouring of the Spirit? Something stirring that we should be like, well, if everyone else is praying for us, we should probably start praying that a well is opened up. I got super excited, more excited than I might seem right now. I got super excited. I thought, I'm going to do some research. So, so I hit Google hard. Um, and my first entry was well 
King's Cross. I was just convinced in my head that there was an ancient well in King's Cross, that somehow spiritually we were going to tap into that story and see a fresh wave of life released. And as I typed in, I, I knew I'd find something. Like expectation in my heart. Was I disappointed? Absolutely, I wasn't. There was an ancient well in King's Cross. It was part of the, the River Fleet. Let me read you an account from the 1800s of this well called St. Chad's. Says this, St. Chad's Wells, health restored and preserved by drinking the Battle Bridge waters. King's Cross was called Battle Bridge in the 1800s. The Battle Bridge waters, commonly called St. Chad's Wells, formerly dedicated to St. Chad, first Bishop of Lichfield. These waters are recommended by the most eminent physicians, listen to this, as the best purging waters in England. The purest, the most powerful healing waters in England. They are found highly efficacious in removing all complaints which affect the urinary passages such as stone and gravel. No one wants stone and gravel in their urinary passages, right? Um, highly effective there. They likewise curve, sc uh, cure scurvy, bile, worms, piles, praise Jesus, indigestion, nervous complaints, seminal weaknesses and various other disorders too numerous for an advertisement. Several attestations of their wonderful effects may be seen in the pump room. Apparently there's a pump room with just stories of the miracles. If you read the accounts, thousands of people every single week came to visit St. Chad's place in search for healing. There is a well. There is a well, right? Where's the well, I hear you asking. That's what I was asking. So I, I began to do some more research. So the River Fleet... One of the major river that, rivers that enabled settlements to develop around here, Battle Bridge, was a bridge over the River Fleet that then became King's Cross. It starts in Hampstead. It makes its way down to the Thames. It's now underground. It's the largest subterranean river in, in London. It's basically essentially sewers now, particularly around King's Cross. It was sort of redirected into channels, etc. But this is a map of, of the River Fleet, open source maps. You can find the River Fleet. Let's zoom in on the circular area, King's Cross. So it comes right through the heart of King's Cross. The nickname for the River Fleet was the River of Wells because there were so many wells along the River Fleet. Let's zoom in one more time. The little star is King's House. Um, the point is the River Fleet runs literally by us. For all we know, potentially underneath us. That's pretty nuts, right? So I was like, where's St. Chad's? Like, where is the well? Where is the well? And I got really carried away. And, and no one really knows where the well is. The point is, it's, it's somewhere really close. St. Chad's Place, literally 20 metres from here, is probably somewhere there. So according to my research, the best guess is it's probably there. I put a circle just to include King's House, just because I want to be part of the story. I want... I'm, writing myself into the story. I'm writing us into the story. The point is we're 20 meters potentially from a healing well that thousands would visit where there were stories of multiple miracles of people experiencing healing. We've had a prophetic word over us over many years that our destiny's hidden in our history. Like do we have eyes of faith to see something was stirring and we need to unblock the well and ask for God to do it again. Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Deep prayers, would you do it again in our time, in our day? Would you make yourself and your power known? Does that stir up faith that maybe something's happening, right? Tough crowd, tough crowd, but it's stirring up faith for me. I, I'm half joking. Hopefully the energy just began to spill into Stockwell. I hope, I hope you sense that in the room. Um, here's the point. Serving God's purpose to make all things new looks like sewers becoming springs. 
And, and I believe God is stirring something. Swamplands become ponds where communities are lifted out of poverty. Like rejected wells open up and, and living waters begin to flow again. That, that's what happens when God begins to move. Everything begins to change. Let's just land by getting super practical. Um, how do we step into the story? And, and this is like going from the like, highly spiritual into the intensely practical. Here's four things. Come, belong, serve, give. If you're new to KXC, this is so simple, but this is what we believe are some simple practices that help us live out this story together. Come on a Sunday. Like, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I have a fear that on our watch, many followers of Jesus have dropped perhaps the most important habit of them all, which is gathering together with the sons and daughters of God to worship him. Right? Something happens when we gather and proclaim the name of Jesus. And some people have just found it super comfortable just to watch a live stream from home and get disconnected from the people of God. And, and I want to say to those that have just found comfort and just a sense of like, it's easier just doing it at home in my pants or my pajamas. Like it's time to get back in the room. Now I'm aware some people for health reasons will need to shield. I'm aware that some people for mental health reasons aren't quite ready to get back into the room and we understand and there is absolute grace for that come back when you are ready but if it's just a sense of comfort and you've got disconnected and you've dropped this habit perhaps one of the foundational habits of them all you need to pick up the habit urgently for your spiritual vitality and for the vitality of those around you so come on a Sunday regularly there's space at the table there's space at the table belong don't get disconnected press into community come to the big weekend join a hub serve find a place to serve at KXC our faith comes alive as we serve if this isn't a moment where like a third of the room who are new don't step into serving what's going to happen is we'll probably burn out some of our like incredible you know volunteers that are serving week in week out like we need to all step in and develop these practices of serving so come to church once a month ready to serve on the sound on the visuals on the kids team on the worship team on the welcome team on the setup team whatever it might be let's embrace this practice of serving one another it is the model of Jesus you cannot follow the way of Jesus and not serve in your local church just want to say that again you cannot follow the way of Jesus and and choose not to serve in your local church it's part of what it means to follow Jesus and become like him. So come, belong, serve, give. Give financially. So let me just hit you with one more graph as we close. This was the financial year of October 19 to September 2020. You can see the little arrow, which was when lockdown began. And I just want to name that as a moment to celebrate at a moment where some people were fighting in supermarkets over toilet roll at KXE, something else was happening, which was a wave of generosity kicked in. You can see more people started giving. This is the compassion piece. This is a time of need. This is a time to step further into the, the story that God's called us to. We are going to give financially. That is incredible. That is what you call faith. It is a sign of faith when you see the, the financial graphs go like that. It's a time of ownership we're stepping into the story. And beyond these graphs, we've seen £265,000 given to King's House, right? This is just regular giving, not the, just the, the one-off stuff to, to the campaign. Now, if you fast forward a year, you can see the block bars are monthly giving. So each month, it's fairly steady, right? So this isn't a moment of panic. But you see the dotted line, which is the number of givers at KXE, has dropped from 320 to closer to 260. Now, I just want to name that 
A number of people have left London, left the city, new jobs, you know, fill in the blanks, dot, dot, dot. A whole wave has joined. And I guess I want to say to, to this wave joining, can you sort of like pick up some of these simple practices? Come, belong, serve, give. We invite you into financial giving, not just because it releases resources to help us be the church that God's called us to be, but more than just releasing resources. When you give your money, you give your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So when people start giving regularly to their church family, they're giving their heart. And what you're giving your heart to, a vision of God on a mission to make all things new, participating in the story to serve God's purpose to make all things new. So we want to welcome everyone, whether this is week one, week four, year 11 for you. Let's step into what God is doing right now. Our mission remains the same. Our God remains the same. We are here to serve his purpose, to make all things new.